Hello and welcome again to the Will Preach for Food podcast. My name is Doug. I'm a pastor at Faith Lutheran Church based out of Shelton, Washington, a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can learn more about faith at our website, www.faithshelton.org. And I want to thank you for listening today. Following up with last week's podcast, we're going to spend some more time in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ, it says. So let's take a closer look to learn more about what the Spirit wants us wants to reveal to us about Jesus, particularly about the nature of power and about the kingdom of God. Are you interested? Well, open your Bible to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and turn to chapter 5, beginning at the first verse. John of Patmos writes this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. (laughs) And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Here ends the reading. Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I love the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation has so many interesting, shiny pieces to look at that it's hard sometimes to consider and recall its fundamental purpose, its stated purpose. It calls itself a revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is a glimpse a revelation of who God is as revealed in the risen and, and crucified Jesus of Nazareth, the true God, Son of the Father from eternity, and the true human being born of the Virgin Mary. 
So how do we read this revelation of Jesus Christ? Think about it this way. Uh, If you look at the four gospel accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, each one of them um, is is consistent in a lot of ways, but they differ slightly. Uh, You can think about the gospel of Mark. It's like a close-up. It's an eyewitness account on the ground in real time, reporting live from Jerusalem. Jesus is right there in your face. The Gospel of Matthew, on the other hand, places Jesus in the context of the history of Israel. So it starts with a genealogy connecting Jesus to David and to Abraham. The Gospel of Luke, it looks at Jesus from the perspective of the Roman Empire in the first century, in those days when Quirinius was governor. The Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, it's written with a, with a view to how Jesus fits into all of human history. It begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. My point is this, that, that the revelation of Jesus Christ was written by the same author as the Gospel of John. And so it makes sense that uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ is also given in the context of human history, past, present, future. It is as if John is given a view of human history from 30,000 feet above, right? Or maybe of a mile above, whatever it is. And, And from his vantage point, he can see the rising and falling of human empires from the beginning and far into the future. What would he see and how would you describe it? Well, here in uh, Revelation chapter 5, maybe he's been, he's been looking and, and he sees the rise and fall of dozens or thousands of small tribes and groups. And then there's a flood and everything's rebooted. And then one line emerges, that is Abraham and his family, along with countless other lines. Um, but Abraham's, that's, that's Israel, the Lion of Judah, God's chosen people. Then he sees uh, one, uh, one kingdom rise. It's the pharaohs of Egypt. They're building a human dynasty built on a leader claiming divine authority, consolidating power through war and violence, stolen land, and forced labor. John watches as the Lion of Judah. That line becomes subject to the Egyptian hierarchy. Then he watches as God intervenes through Moses, uh, rescuing Israel from slavery, leading them into a new start. John continues to look and he watches as Israel begins to form its own human dynasty, secure in Jerusalem, the the son of King David, the descendant, the branch of Jesse, the root of David. Solomon begins to imitate other human dynasties. He builds a temple with forced labor. He extends national borders through war and intimidation, and he does it all in the name of the Lord. So John watches as the pride of the Lion of Judah brings about its fall. And Israel is now subjected to the Babylonians and then the Assyrians and then the Greeks and then the Romans. Each of those dynasties built on a hierarchy of violence and war, stolen land and forced labor. Gazing forward into the future, all the way to our present and beyond, John sees more of the same. Earthly kingdoms rising and falling, some more enduring than others, some more benevolent than others, some more ruthless than others, but all following the pattern of all human dynasties, a hierarchy of the haves over the have-nots, a system in which a few big deals consolidate wealth and power through war and violence, stolen land, forced labor, and almost always with the supposed blessing and backing of God or the gods. 
Witnessing this scene in Revelation with John is a universe of angels and elders and living creatures. They all see the same thing and they wonder out loud, how in the world is God going to fix this? What's the secret sauce? What's the weapon of mass destruction that God is cooking up? And when will the Almighty issue the launch? The future is a mystery. It's unknown. It's like a scroll that's rolled up and sealed so tight that no one can bust the code. No one's worthy to figure it out. John as well is overwhelmed with grief and despair. He begins to weep. Then someone suggests that maybe the answer is in that line of Abraham, Israel, the Lion of Judah. Maybe salvation lies in its hands. Could there truly finally be a righteous branch of Jesse, a root of David, a king of Israel who can win the victory once and for all time? So John zooms in for a closer look, expecting to see a fierce lion capable of overcoming all this evil and suffering. Instead, John sees a familiar face. He sees the one who always loved him, the risen Lord Jesus with pierced hands and feet. Jesus appears not as a lion, but as a lamb, a slaughtered one at that. John sees all those elders and angels and living creatures bowing down in worship of the slaughtered lamb, a lamb covered with seven horns and seven eyes and seven spirits, which is another way of saying that the lamb is all that, possessing all the power, all the wisdom, all the strength and glory. It is Jesus, the lamb, who is worthy to break the seals. Jesus is the weapon of mass salvation, not destruction. The revelation of Jesus Christ is that God isn't interested in playing the power game. God isn't to be found among the powerful, but among the oppressed. God certainly doesn't back any given dictator, leader, or political party. God opposes the proud, Scripture says, and shows favor to the humble, James 4, 6. God humbles the ruler and lifts up the humble, Luke chapter 1. The book of Revelation reveals that the power of God The glory of God, the wisdom of God is found in Christ and him crucified, a lamb, a slaughtered one at that. So viewed through the lens of human history, then the revelation of Jesus Christ is that the power of God rejects all those human systems and dynasties and hierarchies. The kingdom of God is something altogether different. It is marked by willing self-sacrifice, not war and violence. It's marked by justice and good stewardship of land, water, and creation, not land grabs, mineral rights, or the accumulation of more and more, especially not at the expense of others. It is marked by a right balance of work and Sabbath, meaningful labor and fair wages, not oppressive systems and forced labor. And the kingdom of God is expansive. It includes all the creatures on the earth, um, above the earth, under the earth, and everywhere in between. Revelation 5.9 adds that the kingdom of God is radically diverse and inclusive. People from every tribe and language and people and nation This suggests strongly that prejudice has no place in God's realm, nor does racism, English only, or America first. A kingdom of sheepish priests. (laughs) That's the kind of kingdom Jesus came to create. 
priests in that we are set apart by God, that our only allegiance is to God alone. Our only calling is to serve God and to do that by stewarding creation and loving our neighbors. We are priests. We have the authority to, we have a direct line to the big guy, as it were. Each one of us is called and given authority to pray on behalf of others, to intercede on behalf of others, to point others to the grace of God, to dedicate our whole lives to God. And this reign of God calls us to lives of Christ-likeness, of sheepishness, suffering, serving, bearing with and breaking bread. We're called to be sheepish priests, always bearing in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is the reign of God on earth until he comes again. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise because Jesus has shown that he is the only one in human history who is able to set all these aside and to show us what real power, the power of God, looks like. The power not to use power. The power of God looks like a lamb and a slaughtered one at that. Worthy is the lamb. Hallelujah. And the four living creatures said, Amen. So three takeaways for you. Remember, first of all, that the book of Revelation is about Jesus. It's just looking at him from 30,000 feet above human history. Read it like you're admiring a building-sized mural. Enjoy the details, but don't lose sight of the mural as a whole. And don't feel like you have to understand all the parts of it to appreciate the work of the artist. See, Revelation is a revelation about Jesus, and it's consistent with the biblical witness claiming that Jesus Christ is both Savior and Lord. That is to say, we praise God for what Christ has done for us and for our salvation, dying for our sins, liberating us from sin and death. And then we also follow and serve Christ as Lord of our lives, the way, the truth, and the life. That is to say, we are called to conform our lives to his, to be obedient to his commands. If we say we, we love God but hate our neighbors, we don't truly have the love of God in us. Being like Christ is at least as important as talking about Christ. In the kingdom of God, character matters. Love matters. Second of all, Revelation is a critique of human systems of power and politics. Revelation offers an outright rejection of human ideas of power and influence. This means that God is not Republican or Democrat. It also means that God is not going to resort to human systems of hierarchy, oppression, violence, and power to achieve God's purposes. And by extension, it is also a call for the church to reject human measures of power and success. We say no to and oppose hierarchies and land grabs and forced labor and systems of oppression. We are cautioned against aligning ourselves with political parties or economic systems. This is why, by the way, I'm not a big fan of national prayer days or of large-scale efforts to preserve so-called Christian culture or of asserting my, quote, rights, unquote, as a Christian. It all feels a bit needy, worldly, like a religious power grab. I'd rather advocate that we welcome the stranger, 
that we sponsor students in the Dominican Republic, that we send quilts to people in need around the world. I'd rather wrestle with and question how the church participates in oppressive systems. I'd rather create spaces in which people can have real conversations about issues of substance without prejudice or fear. The kingdom of God revealed in scriptures, revealed in Revelation, is so much more diverse and expansive and inclusive than we could ever imagine. Finally, Revelation is about hope. Love wins. From 30,000 feet, John is given a vision of the future, of how it all turns out. Spoiler alert, God wins. (laughs) Love wins. The lamb wins. The systems of oppression, war, violence, slavery, and greed are finally overcome by love, by a lamb, and a slaughtered one at that. Can you believe it? Probably not. Which is all the more reason for all of us to continue to meet together, to wrestle with this stuff, and to continue to strive to encourage each other to live into the grace and goodness, the faithfulness and freedom of God. So that's what I've got for you today. Thanks for listening, folks. Thank you, Chaz, for your weekly help producing this podcast. I'm grateful to the people of faith for their uh, partnership in the gospel for being sheepish priests alongside me. You can go to our website, www.faithshelton.org, for resources uh, to help you know Christ and make Christ known, for growing closer to and more like Jesus, for ways to connect with the larger faith community. Hope you'll sign up for a weekly email, like us on Facebook, make a financial donation to, to faith, subscribe to this Will Preach for Food podcast. I hope this last 20 minutes or so has been helpful for your life of faith, and I hope that the last 20 minutes or so has brought honor and glory to God. And so I leave you with the words from the book of Revelation. To the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen.